following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Good morning, everybody. I was uh, just speaking with some of our friends here about the game last night and uh, telling the young people who came in, no complaining of being tired today. You stayed up until midnight to watch the end of that game. Well, that's your choice. Now we're here for the Lord's house. So, yeah, we'll, you take a nap this afternoon. Those four guys right there, I can imagine them taking naps this afternoon, right? Mom and Dad, would they do that? No, they would not do that. Grandma would, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, we're glad to be here this morning to worship our God and King, our Lord Jesus Christ. We're here for the Lord's table service. I want to welcome those of you that are online. I assume we are live as well on that channel, uh, especially if you are from Hiawatha Bible Church. We want to welcome you. We know that your church is closed today because of uh, COVID, and uh, we hope that we can provide some at least small amount of uh, edification for you as we share our service amongst ourselves here and with our folks who are shut-ins as well. We know also, at least God willing, that uh, one of our deacons is with his mom, and she's in the hospital right now, and they are live streaming our services there at the hospital uh, this morning. So uh, that's Evelyn, uh, who's there and having some trials, uh, getting prepped for a test they want to do on her, and uh, it's just uh, one of those waiting games. You know how it is when you go there to to the hospital, and then you're there on the weekend, Things don't move very fast on the weekends sometimes there, so we, uh, we will pray for them as well. Welcome if you're, if you're watching this morning, Evelyn and, and Ben. Let's have a prayer as we begin, and then we'll share a couple of hymns, and then we will share a message from the Word, and then the elements of the table. Our Heavenly Father, this morning we are grateful to be together to do as our Lord commanded, to remember Him until He comes to proclaim his death amongst ourselves, to remind us of the work of Christ and to remind ourselves of the great truths that surround that work and to take stock of our own Christian lives. We understand this is a perfect opportunity for us to do that monthly, to remember what you have done for us and also spend a little time making sure that we are walking with you and pleasing you with our conduct, our speech, our thoughts. We thank you for that, this opportunity, which is an opportunity for your grace to work in us. We give you praise. Help us as we sing and hear the word this morning and then share the table. I thank you for each one who's here, a good crowd this morning, and for those that are on the computer observing as well, may you bless and keep them and help them. Some, Lord, are sick today. On not feeling well, and Lord, we commend them into your care. We pray that you'll raise each and every one of them up, that even though the pestilence may have come nigh their, home, their homes, that you will remove it quickly from them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn our Bibles, if you would please, to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, for just a short meditation in the scriptures regarding the Lord's table, and the reason that we're here this morning, because the Lord told us, do this 
in remembrance of me. There are two ordinances in the church, baptism for new believers, uh, well, usually, hopefully, new believers, maybe uh, believers who are older and uh, in the sense of having been in the faith a while but did not, uh, were not baptized, and uh, that is a testimony of their faith to the public, to the church, to let the church know that they are standing with the believers in the church and uh, really symbolic of the work that Christ did in us in terms of uh, causing us to die to sin and to rise again to a new life and that resurrection to which we look forward as Christian people. But then there is the second ordinance, which is the Lord's table. The first one, typically once in a believer's life, sometimes believers uh, maybe uh, have uh, been baptized a second time or have thought, well, I wasn't, I'm not quite sure I was truly born again when I was baptized the first time. I want to testify again to the Lord's work in my life. And, but the Lord's table is a repeated thing. You know, some churches week by week, we do month by month, once each month. Um, but it is necessary for us because we forget, don't we? We, we too often forget and lose sight of the important things, lose sight of what the Lord has done for us, and the Lord knows that. He knows that we're frail that way, and we need reminders all the time of His work. So this do in remembrance of me. We don't have a monument. Uh, We don't have a place to go. We don't point ourselves in a certain direction to worship. We remember the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who is everywhere present, even Though he is also incarnate in heaven, he is, as the divine Logos, uh, omnipresent. And we worship him, can worship him anywhere, not just on one mountain or another, not just in one place or another, but in any place in the globe. But we're remembering him, not a monument. Uh, and uh, and, and it's certainly when we remember him, we're remembering uh, events, historical events that occurred, um, but we are remembering him. So you've got to remember when we... When you become a Christian, you're not believing just a bunch of facts. You are believing into a person, into the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a crucial uh, understanding that we must have. We're committing ourselves to the Lord Jesus. We are entrusting ourselves to him. We are believing in him, not just that somebody died for sins and somebody rose again from the dead and somebody is coming back again but it's Jesus himself, Jehovah saves, the one who came to save his people from their sins. <clears throat> and that was, that was the issue in the first century when he came, and that's been the issue ever since then. So we are to remember him. In Hebrews 9, the writer to the Hebrews has a mammoth task in front of him. He has people who uh, perhaps are doubting about the uh, claims of Christ. They're doubting about the superiority of Christ, which he deals with very much in the first chapters of the book and talks about not only the superiority of the person of Christ, but also his work, his priesthood, uh, his kingship, and, and all of the rest of his office, and ministry, his prophecy, his giving of the word of God, revelation of God. Um, and so the uh, author of Hebrews comes to a section in oh, 7, 8, 9, 10, where he's trying to show the people that your Old Testament, as we call it, your Jewish sacrificial system was insufficient. It was incomplete. It needed to be fulfilled. And this is how God arranged that very marvelously. Let's read nine, uh, chapter 9, and I'll start in verse 11, but our focus will be in 13 to 14. 
But Christ came, verse 11 says, but Christ came as high priest of the great, uh, sorry, of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of bulls and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now, I almost feel like not going through what I have here in my notes just to say, do you understand what we just read? What we have here is in verse 13, a statement that says, if this Old Testament sacrificial system had some effect, and what was that effect? Well, it was the purifying of the flesh. It was sprinkling the unclean and sanctifying for the purifying of the flesh. And what was it that they they sprinkled and did there? It was the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer which is kind of a summary of all of the sacrifices that were done in that olden time. That had an effect of purifying the flesh. How much more, he says, shall the blood of Christ, and then it explains how he offered himself. We'll look at that in a moment. How much more will that cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? A tremendous differentiation between the two systems the advancement, if you will, on the Old Testament system in the work of Christ. But let's, let's look at three different ways that the text suggests that we can approach God. Three different ways that people use to approach God. The first of those is found at the end of verse 14, where the apostle says, cleanse your conscience from dead works from dead works. That's one approach that people use to try to get to God. Second approach, animal sacrifice. That's the beginning of verse 13. Blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer. Animal sacrifice. There's not so much of that animal sacrifice going on today, I say in 2021, uh, and certainly not among the Jewish people. There really is none going on at all. But that is an approach that has been used in the past to to try to get to God. And then third, third, you should be able to answer uh, or tell me what my third uh, approach to God is, and that is through the self-sacrifice of Christ. Okay, so you've got dead works, animal sacrifices, and you've got the work of Christ. All those are in the, these two verses here. You've got the blood of bulls and goats, you've got the blood of Christ, and you have dead works all listed there. So let's look at these in turn this morning and just think about them. Let's observe the effectiveness of each of these three ways to try to get to God, to try to get into a good relationship with God. Number one, dead works. The adjective dead pretty much tells the tale. It tells the tale. It tells you everything that we need to know. Consider back in Hebrews in chapter 6, verse 1. Hebrews 6, 1, it says, Therefore, Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying again. So he's saying, we've got to leave behind some of the basics here, okay? We can't stay on the John 3.16 preaching all the time. We've got to move on to something more deeper here. 
not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Repentance from dead works. The Bible's estimation of such works is that they are to be repented of. They are not actually an effective approach to God at all. Remember that James chapter 2 and 17 says, faith without works is dead. Um, 2.26 and James says the same thing. So that not even dead faith, much less dead works, will bring somebody into favor with God. You follow me? If dead faith won't do it, certainly dead works won't do it. Okay? Uh, They are not effective in establishing or maintaining a relationship with God. Jesus rebuked the church in Sardis in Revelation 3.1 because the text says they had so-called good works, but in fact, he said, you know, you have a reputation of these so-called good works, but in fact, you are dead. You are dead. There's no life there. Dead works are works done by a person with a view toward purifying themselves before God, but these good works do no such thing. So anybody who says, well, my good my good outweighs my bad, just file this away. If somebody thinks that good works are going to get them into favor with God, no, actually these good works are dead works. They're dead works. Good works are only good if motivated by faith and love for God and obedience to His Word. If they're not motivated that way, then they are dead works. They cannot produce the kind of outcome that the person assumes that they can. So that's like the lowest on the totem pole here of three uh, items. We have the dead work. Secondly, we have the animal sacrifice way of approaching God. The effectiveness of the animal sacrifices comes from the blood of those animals, meaning the extinguishing of their lives as a payment for sin debt. Hebrews 9.22, remember, says, without the shedding of blood, You know that verse. Hopefully, if you don't, you need to learn it. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. This is one reason why it's impossible for dead works, going back to the previous segment, to achieve any standing with God, for they have no value equivalent to the sin of the person. For the wages of sin is death, not good works or dead works. Works don't equal in value or power the power of sin and the death that it brings to a person's life. Now, in contrast to the dead works, there is some value, or could I say there was some value, in animal sacrifice. The text indicates this when it says, the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, is verse 13, sprinkling the unclean, it does in fact sanctify for the purifying of the flesh. The flesh refers to ceremonial cleanness and outward rectitude before the law. But they, they, th- those things did not go deeper than that into the soul. Uh, we'll see that in just a moment a little bit more clearly. This is an outer ceremonial cleansing, cleansing before the law, before the government, before uh, it's an external matter. Uh, a sacrifice could be offered by a person with good faith, And that was how it was supposed to be offered. But a sacrifice could also be offered by a person who had a rotten attitude inside. You say, well, I got to do this. I got to give up this lamb, perfectly good lamb, 
I've got to go and take it to the temple and sacrifice it because I've done some, they say, some crime or something. And although this statement is conveyed in an if format, it's assumed true for the sake of what's being said here, and it is in fact true. These sacrifices did do something. So don't think when you read the Old Testament, why were they doing all this animal sacrifice? It's useless. We know that they had to wait for the blood of Christ. No, they were commanded to do animal sacrifices, and they needed that long-term instruction from God to show them that the wages of sin is the death of something. Your sin is serious. It's not something that can just be blown off. So for the time in which animal sacrifice was instituted, it was a good thing. But it was not, as some think, the entirety of the picture. You know, some people think, well, if they just did their animal sacrifices, they got saved. No, the animal sacrifices never saved anybody. They were necessary under God's program for uh, sanctification and for obedience to his word, but they didn't save anybody. If people thought that without inner faith they could please God with these outward rituals, they were gravely mistaken. In all ages, at all times, for all people, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That is, that is a, as axiomatic as what? It's even more axiomatic than Newton's laws of physics or something like that. I mean, it just is. That's, that is a, a, a reality. Furthermore, if you were kind of sitting back and thinking critically, not being a critic, but thinking, hmm, these sacrifices, we have to keep doing them over and over and over again. Something is, is there's a shortcoming in there. There's some kind of deficiency. And the author of Hebrews calls out that uncomfortable deficiency to the Jewish readers just like that. He just says, look, it's true. What you may have thought in your mind, why do we have to redo these over and over Again, because they were not effective for doing something, that is to remove the filth of the soul. They, they sanctified the ceremonial uncleanness of the flesh, the outward, the externals, but there was a deficiency. Hebrews 10.4 says, It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. In other words, although these sacrifices did do something, purifying the flesh, they did not go any deeper than that. I don't want to say they were merely skin deep, but that's an, uh, an, an apt illustration to show you they didn't get into the heart. They didn't deal with the, the real core of the matter. So we find that the first two approaches to God are not workable. Dead works, certainly. And animal sacrifices have, have these deficiencies that we've talked about. So we come to the third, and that is Christ's self-sacrifice. By the way, when I say self-sacrifice, there's a little bit of an idea built in there. The animals did not choose to die. I guess you would say they would probably have preferred not to, right? To have their throat slit, their blood spilt, and to be burned on the altar. Christ was not put upon to involuntarily be sacrificed. He offered himself for our sins. That's what makes his offering so different partly why it makes it so different. Of course, himself as a person and the value of that. But the effectiveness of the work of Christ comes from, like the animal sacrifices, the effectiveness came from the death that occurred. Here it is also from the blood of Christ, meaning the extinguishing of his life and payment for the sin debt of people, including me and you. 
the greater nature of the sacrificer compared to the animal sacrifices of old times means that the apostle can make the lesser to greater case that we've seen here. The animals are one thing. Blood of Christ, that's an entirely different matter. You can see how the sacrifice is greater, the, uh, the person is greater, the results are greater. To cleanse the conscience, the deepest part of the human psyche, if you will, that's a tremendous task. And that's what the text says Jesus was able to accomplish by his work, to cleanse your conscience from dead works, to serve the living God. A faithfully carried out animal sacrifice would not leave the worshiper with that feeling of a cleansed conscience. That very feeling which you first experienced when you came to Christ and you should be reminded of today, that feeling that when you came to Christ, all of your sins are dealt with. They are all paid for. They are all cared for by his love his loving sacrifice, his loving giving of himself for you to pay for your sin debt. The feeling is that our sins are gone, they're taken away, they're completely addressed, never to be brought up against us again for all eternity. Now, let me briefly go through a couple of other points about this offering of Christ. It was an offering made in blood, What we mean by that is that we're not talking about just the physical stuff of what blood is, red blood cells and plasma and all of that. We're talking about the death of Jesus. He died for you. He died. His body was tortured. His soul was enveloped by the wrath of God on that cross in the last moments before he died, and then he was buried. By means of his blood, he entered into the heavenly dwelling place of God because he had obtained eternal redemption, eternal salvation, to rescue us from eternal judgment. He offered himself through the eternal spirit so that we could have Hebrews 9.15, the next verse, an eternal inheritance in what we call from John chapter 3 and verse 15, eternal life. This was an offering made in blood. It was an offering made through the Holy Spirit. Did you see that in verse 14? Who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God. The Spirit of God was poured out upon him without measure, without amount. He was filled with the Spirit from from ever in his human life. And it was an offering not only, the text says, uh, through the eternal Spirit, but it's without spot without spot. He was a lamb without blemish and without spot. He was holy, blameless, and separate from sinners. He was without sin. He knew no sin. He committed no sin. In him was no sin. Those are all from 1 John, 1 Peter, Hebrews, and 2 Corinthians. And he did this work, this spotless and blameless work, in order to make you to be without spot and blemish also. That's amazing, isn't it? He redeemed his church so that the church would be without spot and blemish. And so that's what he's doing in your life. That's the kind of work that he's working on. So the death of Christ was intended not only to cleanse us from 
dead works and to advance beyond animal sacrifice, but also it says at the end of the verse 14, to serve the living God, to serve the living God, to put us in service of the great King, the living God. And my hope is that not only will we remember his death for us, but we will remember that he saved us to be zealous for good works and to be in his eternal service, serving him in grateful remembrance for what he has done for us. Join me as I pray to close our message, and then we will uh, have the live stream uh, end there, and we'll share the elements of the table together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you for the word from Hebrews 9 that reminds us the futility of dead works, the insufficiency of animal sacrifice, and the complete and total work of Christ that sanctifies us not only for the purifying of the flesh, but also to cleanse our consciences down in the deepest parts of our being that sin is taken away, which the blood of bulls and goats could not ultimately and finally do. Christ did. Thank you for that, Father. May our worship here now at the table be a sweet savor to your nostrils, as it were. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.